I'm off my game today. No, you're not. That's true. People are going to have to start making better content. I think we're going to be talking about this for a long time. When you program for everyone, you program for no one. I think it's that we're a purpose-driven platform. Like, we're trying to get to substance. How okay. was that? Are you happy with that? Yeah. This is marketing therapy right now. It, it really is. <laughs> yeah. What's up? I'm Laura Carrenti. And I'm Alexa Kristen. Welcome back to Adlandia. So today... We're bringing back our fave, Sarah Fisher. Yeah, media reporter over at Axios, who is shedding light on all of the trends that our industry needs to follow. And interestingly enough, also trying to figure out how to take those and apply them to the mass consumer market. Because as an industry, we know what we are putting out in the market is affecting consumers at large. Yeah, I love that she's like talking about how does the media, how do media trades actually speak to everyone, not just the trade community, not just the industry of media tech marketing. Right. We wanted to get her on. She's been um, covering at large the latest ruling that came down from the DOJ around the $85 billion acquisition of Time Warner by AT&T, which has massive implications and sets precedent um, for our industry around how telco and content networks um, are able to converge. What I think is really interesting from a marketing perspective is what's the opportunity for marketers. And I think it gives us an ability to go to AT&T and go to um, Time Warner and strike a deal that we haven't looked at before. Yeah. And two of the things that have lived separately and continue to live separately until this thing gets finalized, which, you know, having worked with the networks on the content side and trying to figure out what is the right programming and now, you know, something that lives separately um, around telco companies, which essentially own your behavior around what device you're consuming content on, when you're consuming that content, what your um, preferences are, what you're, all how long you're staying, things. all of yep. those sorts of things, which we've had to in the past sort of map and piecemeal. Now, all of a sudden present this opportunity for a really hyper targeted um, experience. Yeah. And I think it's a slippery slope for content and creators in, on, on one level, but it's also a huge opportunity for consumers to get better content than they ever have and get all the wasteful content out of the system. So with that, a quickie with Sarah Fisher. We'll be right back. My dad works in B2B marketing, but I never really knew what that meant. Then one day my dad came by my school for career day and told everyone in my class he was a big MQL man. Then he just kept saying things like, the more MQLs the better, over and over. My friends still laugh at me to this day. I think it means marketing qualified lead. One thing's for sure, I'll be known as the MQL man's kid for the rest of my days. Why couldn't you just be a fireman or a lawyer? Why? You ruined my life, Dad. Not everyone gets B2B, but LinkedIn has the people who do. And with ads on LinkedIn, you'll be able to reach people based on job title, industry, likelihood to buy, and more. Start converting your B2B audience into high-quality leads today. We'll even give you $100 credit on your next ad campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash customer to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash customer. Terms and conditions apply. LinkedIn, the place to be, to be. This podcast is sponsored by Cloud Optimizer. As a business owner or IT manager, are your cloud investment costs going up and you don't know why? It's time for Cloud Optimizer. 
As you migrate your business to the cloud, what you're spending and why you're spending it can get a little hazy. But Cloud Optimizer clears up the mystery and puts the cloud to work for you. Cloud Optimizer starts by analyzing usage patterns, right-sizing resources, leveraging discounts you may not be aware of, implementing automation, and much more. And by reducing unnecessary expenses and maximizing performance, Cloud Optimizer guarantees you a savings of five times what you spend for their service. As you utilize cloud-based services more and more, you don't have to lose sight or control of your spend. You can stay agile, streamline your costs, and optimize your performance, plus save significant money with Cloud Optimizer. Make the cloud work for you with Cloud Optimizer. Get a free assessment and find out how much you can save by going to cloudoptimizer.com. Go to cloudoptimizer.com for your free assessment. That's cloudoptimizer.com. Hi there, I'm Bob Pittman, Chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia. I'm excited to announce a new season of my podcast, Math & Magic, Stories from the Frontiers of Marketing. Our guests this season remind us to embrace change and fearlessly look toward the future. Like Andrew Jarecki, award-winning filmmaker and creator of Movie Phone. The studios didn't really control the theaters. The theaters didn't control the studios. And I thought, well, there's a window in here where I could make things easier for the consumer and also make something that would be very useful for the industry. Or Kellen Kenny, Chief Marketing and Growth Officer at AT&T, who installed fiber in customers' houses rather than leading from afar. It is so crucial that you spend time with the customers. That is the best lesson. In these exciting times, we're looking to the math, the strategy and analytics, and the magic, the creative spark more than ever. Listen to a brand new season of Math & Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. If you want to level up your marketing and business knowledge, then look no further than the Marketing School podcast hosted by Neil Patel and yours truly, Eric Sue. It is the number one marketing podcast in the United States and number 15 on business in the United States. And it has amazing guests such as Alex Hermosi, Layla Hermosi, Cody Sanchez. We pull in these amazing interviews with other people that are not only great marketers, but actual operators. And the icing on the cake is Neil and myself were also operators as well. So we share learnings from the trenches. We share secrets that we otherwise wouldn't be sharing with other people. And we also share other advantages that will help you get ahead of your competition. So all you have to do is listen to Marketing School every weekday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. We're going to make a call to our good friend, Sarah Fisher. Yes, the head media reporter over at Axios. Hello? Sarah Fisher. Good morning. Hey, Welcome good morning. to Atlandia again. Welcome back. <laughs> Welcome Thank back. Thank you. How's so, it going? It's good. You yeah. tell us how it's going. Yeah, you've been really busy covering this big news around the DOJ's decision to just go for it and, and let last... AT&T buy Time Warner for 85 billion that's b billion dollars so everyone's talking about this sarah what does it mean like what does it mean to the industry what does it mean to marketers what does it mean to advertising what are you seeing and who are you talking to about it yeah so it was pretty unprecedented when the doj decided to sue to block the merger last fall everyone thought this is a pro-industry republican administration they're going to be 
really pro mergers and acquisitions, and they were. And when they saw that the DOJ sued to block it, people were pretty shocked. I mean, AT&T Time Warner thought this was a shoo-in. So when the U.S. District Judge, Judge Richard Leon, decided to let the merger go through, the first narrative that came out was this merger should have never been contested to begin with. The only reason the DOJ sued to block it is because Trump didn't want to win for CNN, which is uh, one of the cable networks owned by Time Warner. I just heard that on NPR, by the way. I mean, people have been, that's exactly, that's like a huge narrative. Banana, banana, banana. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Great ad. Um, Yeah, no, I mean, it's it's been an ongoing narrative throughout the case. And I will say in the beginning of the trial, right before the official trial started, they had a bunch of reporters come in and meet um, with all parties. And they were talking about, AT&T was talking about why it's, the, the lawsuit was ridiculous. And one of the arguments that they made is they said that we thought this was politically charged. The judge at the time, Judge Richard Leon, kind of uh, actually ruled in favor of the DOJ and said, no, it's not politically charged. There could actually be a harm to consumers with this merger. But I will tell you. What was judge- that harm, though? What w- Did they identify? Oh, yeah. You've yes. been in the thick a of monopoly. it. monopoly. It was so the, the, the harm is The harm is this. And it's a little bit wonky, but it's important for people if you're a media nerd like me. The harm is that People were worried that if you gave an internet service provider like AT&T a content arm like Time Warner, that they would leverage the exclusivity of having certain channels like HBO, like TNT, TBS, CNN, and they would say to their consumers, look, you're going to get these channels only with us so we can charge you more for your pay TV, your linear TV package. Now, what the DOJ is saying is that this is harmful to consumers because if you raise the price on them, A, that's an undue burden, but B, then all of your competitors, Verizon, exactly. Comcast, will also have to raise their price. Now, it was up to Richard Leon, the judge, the district judge, to determine whether or not he thought the DOJ made a case that this could potentially lift prices to the point of a burden on consumers. And what Leon said yesterday was, you failed, DOJ, you failed to make that argument. And so I I sat in court a long time. I think what was really hard to understand was, what is the point of price increase in which it would be a problem for consumers. The DOJ DOJ was saying it would be about 45 cents a month, which adds up to like, you know, $6 a year, $400 million across all consumers for a year. And I think what Leon was saying yesterday in his dissent was, I just don't think that you were able to prove that that's a significant enough burden on consumers. So he let the whole thing go through without any divestiture packages, without any behavioral remedies, which would be promises that AT&T wouldn't, you know, exploit its dominance. And I got to tell you, I was even a little bit surprised that it was such a clear cut ruling because goodness, this thing got so dramatic. The judge calls all the reporters in. He doesn't let anyone have phones or laptops. He doesn't let anyone even leave the room until the full ruling is read. It, it was a little bit dramatic, given the fact that well, a it U.S. Is media. District court, so yeah, yeah. But usually, these kind of district court decisions, you just put up a ruling online. And I mean, this is this is a big merger, but we've seen even bigger mergers, you know. So uh, the whole thing turned into a spectacle. But at the end of the day, yeah, it's going to usher in a new wave of consolidation across media, tech, and telecom that will affect every advertiser, every marketer, brand, media company, really 
uh, indefinitely. But can you talk about, you said this has big ramifications for the industry. Um, you alluded to the fact that there are other tech companies now. Um, obviously, there's you know other examples of this playing out in the marketplace. Can you talk about what message this sends to other tech companies, other media platforms, and what's possible? And then we can get a little bit into how does that affect the people in the business in terms of how, yeah, and how we're buying and and planning in the space. I would, so there's a couple things. One is that the decision supported a vertical merger, which means a merger between two companies in different markets. Obviously, AT&T is a telecom company. They own, um, you know, they have a broadband business, they have a mobile business, and then Time Warner is a content company. And so this is a signal to all the other corporations out there that are trying to merge with corporations that are in different markets that, hey, this judge or this administration is going to be more lenient about letting those things pass through. So basically, it set a precedent. Is this almost a necessary step in consolidation to get to the Valhalla of (laughs) personalization that everyone talks about? Uh, Yes. So I will say this. What can you expect? I mean, there's a lot of other telecom companies out there that are buying up content arms that are probably going to want to buy up video content arms. The the biggest standout to me is Verizon. We know that Verizon wanted to go in and buy CBS. Sherry Redstone said no. So there are other telecom companies interested in buying video content uh, partners. Um, There's also tech companies out there, though I will say tech companies like Apple, like um, Amazon, you know, yeah. I mean, those companies, they're a little, I would say they're a little bit less likely to buy actual TV networks um, for a few reasons. One, it conflates sort of the editorial responsibility that they've, so many of them have shied away from. When you actually own a network, things change, particularly a lot of these uh, TV networks own news channels. Like, that's really hard. I'm actually curious to see how AT&T manages a news network like CNN and all the burden that comes with that. But the other thing is that tech has so much money and free cash flow. Yeah, I'm sure you can dump it into buying a content company. But a lot of times they're just buying up franchises and talent. Like, look yeah, at Netflix, so- you know, they're just buying up Shonda Rhimes. They don't need to buy ABC. They can just buy the talent that's producing the same type of content without having to actually have the burden of ABC News and all that kind of well, stuff. We, yeah, and this is so – if we could go back in time, um, Alexa and I had worked on um, some trend spotting – what was that? One or two years ago now, and so how one we of the key, it, yeah. yeah, one of the key themes that we were rallying around was the idea that tech companies were going to become the new MSOs. Yeah, right. So, if you think about what you just said, in not having the need to go and buy the network, they're creating the network, right? Mm-hmm. When you see the massive paychecks that you know Amazon and Apple, et cetera, are writing in Hollywood, that is a huge signal. Um, and thinking about where and how they're competing in terms of what they're choosing to buy as opposing to choose to acquire, if that makes sense. Yeah, and acquisitions are tough. First of all, there's a lot of synergies that usually comes with layoffs. It usually comes with a lot of legal complications. It also comes with cultural barriers. I mean, I look at this from AT&T and Time Warner. I mean, AT&T is headquartered in Texas. (laughs) This is going to be a really hard company to integrate. So you're right in that tech companies, they have the cash to just kind of buy out the assets that they need to create their own. I would look, the next immediate step is 
look for how this affects telecom. So you know that Comcast is trying to now come swoop in and get and, and eat up Fox. Remember, Comcast already bought NBC Universal about seven years ago. So there are some people who are worried about it. Uh, just because AT&T and Time Warner pass doesn't mean every vertical merger will pass. They all have to go through their own regulatory scrutiny. But how it affects advertising and media marketing is so interesting because throughout this entire trial, AT&T was arguing, we need this merger to go through so that we could compete in the market with the fang companies, the Facebooks and Apples and Googles and Netflix of the world. And for a lot of those big competitors, they're able to sell data-driven advertising. We can't. We can't do it because we don't have the you know content to sell it against, et cetera. So that's a huge benefit uh, for the, the telecom companies is that they finally have content that they could sell ads against. Remember, they've had the data forever. Right. If you if you are set top box that you have in your living room has everything. It has yep. all of your web data. It has yep. all of your TV data. The problem is they just had no nothing really to sell it against. So right. now this gives them a content arm to sell it against. Uh, and I would expect you see those charts that have the duopoly off the you know the off the charts and how much advertising growth they're going to get. I would expect this to start to eat at that a little bit. How much? Who knows? A lot of people say we'll never take down the duopoly. Some people say they'll make a significant impact. I think collectively they could start to do some work and kind of evening out the playing field. And by the way, that's done entirely by design. This administration had an approach to technology very different than the Obama administration, neither right or wrong, depends on your beliefs, that in order to curb the power of some of the tech giants that have become monopolistic, like Google and Facebook, you should deregulate legacy industries like telecom, newspapers, and broadcasts to allow them to compete. So this uh, notion of the fact that telecom companies are now going to be able to sell your data for advertising purposes, that's because this administration, through Congress and then was signed by the president, passed a law that allowed them to do it. Yeah. Up until 2017, no telecom company could sell that data. So why are all these mergers happening? It's a part of a larger push by the Trump administration to have a more laissez-faire economic view towards media and consolidation to let some of these legacy players compete with the tech giants. Yes, totally. 100%. You know, I just see this simply as like two things. On the telco side, on the tech side, they don't, to your point, want to have the burden of creating the content in these giant networks. On the content side, they actually don't have the distribution means anymore that they used to. They're fighting the... You know, the Facebooks and the Googles. Are networks now getting to go DTC? Does that make sense? Yes. Yeah. I mean, that's, right. that's exactly that's right. That's exactly that's right. That's what they're trying to do. Now, I will say this. One of the, the – these networks see themselves as wholesalers. John Martin, the president of Turner, yeah. he said in court countless times, I don't even know the names of the people that watch any of my networks. I don't even know anything about them because the people who have the direct right. relationships with them are the telecom companies. Right. You pay your telecom company every month. You're not paying CNN. You're not paying Turner or TNT. Right. So now it, it kind of removes them from that wholesaler position and it allows them to get to a more direct to consumer relationship with television. Uh, I will say this, the one thing that got really complicated during the trial, is like, what the heck do you do about streaming? Because if you mm. are AT&T and you own direct TV now, and you now have access to some of the biggest and most necessary content in a skinny bundle, i.e. CNN, TNT, TBS, et cetera, are you gonna use that leverage and withhold it from all the other skinny bundles, like Sling's Dish, Dish's Sling, exactly. or PlayStation View? That was another big argument during the trial. 
basically by allowing this thing to go through with no concessions, the judge is saying, I you trust that AT&T, you can do what you want, but also I trust that you're not going to do that because AT&T said over and over and over again that they won't. But I got to tell you, I'm not meaning to be cynical. I'm just trying to be a little bit of a contrarian. When we allowed this to go through between Comcast and NBC seven years ago, a lot of promises were made that were not upheld. So I think that's one thing that the market should be kind of aware of, especially if you're a marketer, if you're somebody who is buying ads across a lot of these platforms is like, this might not be super peachy. There's going to be a lot of complications. There's going to be a lot of drama as the thing gets pushed through and enforced. And so time will tell how it all works out, but uh, we're kind of relying on AT&T and Time Warner being of good faith here uh, and being good brokers in this market now that they are like a mega company. Yeah, because as a buyer, like my first this, thought is this is a great opportunity. As, as yeah, buyer. As my first yeah that that that's like the first thought going through my head as a, a trained buyer is saying like this eliminates so many hurdles and barriers. Yeah, to get to a consumer in a way that now the data is around the pipes, the data and the behavior, so, I can actually start matching you up. Can start and, seeing the connection, and we all know that at the end of the day, you can test as many things as you want, but if you don't have great content to test with, like to me, the content is the thing that you chum the waters with, right? To get yeah. to get people interacting. Well, so I think like, everybody knows, like, and this is obviously where ad tech comes into play, and all these sorts of things is. As a media buyer in the marketplace, you know that you have this content company over here who is making great things. And they're like, we have the ability to target people across our ecosystem, et cetera. But we all know that there was the potential for it to for there to be a breakdown once you got to the device level. And, yeah. and what was the reliability to target from set-top box to mobile, et cetera? Well, now if I'm in the AT&T universe, game on. Game on. I think the key part in understanding the particular opportunity about AT&T Time Warner is that they hired Brian Lesser from Group M like about a year and a half ago. And he has been developing this ad tech stack for months. Like it's not like they're going to – by the time this deal goes through – he will have had two years yeah. of creating an ad tech product that will be pretty much ready to go to market, which is very different than just kind of starting from scratch, starting from the beginning. So what does that ad tech look like? Essentially, they're taking the stack from CNN, all the things that they've used to deploy digital. Because remember, Comcast hasn't really sold anything like uh, across app properties and web in a really sophisticated way, the way that CNN has. And they're going to take CNN's mostly content and then they're going to match it with, A, their data, and B, their plans. I think it'll be great for marketers. I think it'll be good. Um, I know that it was a big worry in court that, oh, wow, what if, what if like Comcast and NBC and then AT&T Time Warner like, teamed up and created like an amazing data-driven product? Now, as I said, they think they're going to be able to you know, sell off things, TV content at a higher premium, at a higher CPM, yeah. because it will be able to be more customizable and targetable. That's that's a big thing that they a big reason that they want to get into this game. Um, I would expect if I had to give out like a timeline of sorts that you will be able to as a marketer be able to go in and start leveraging these opportunities in 2019. I do think one hard part about this is that storytelling is not at the core of a telecom company's business model. No, nope. and this is something that is very scary for the folks I know over at 21st Century Fox. They'll say, John Landgraf told me, the uh, president of FX, said the thing that he's happy about with merging with Disney is at least storytelling is at the heart of their business model. They're going to be able to make corporate decisions based around how they're going to be able to tell the best stories and create the best content. 
That's just not the case with AT&T. Their business model is to accrue consumers yep. through either a broadband or a wireless plan. And so when that is the core of your focus, you can imagine that the P&Ls get changed and that the same type of focus on content that you know some of these networks experience under Time Warner, I don't think it'll you know go away. I don't think it's going to be damaged, but it's not going to be the same. And so as it comes to creativity, this is a conversation that a lot of people in the industry are having is, once the tech and telecom companies who are not storytellers buy up all the storytellers, are the storytellers going to be free to tell as good of stories and tell them independently? That is a concern. That is a very, very serious concern. Does this have the potential to change the way now Turner bundles and sells their content with or without advertising? Yeah, 100%. I mean, again, the big fear in court was that Turner would now merge with AT&T give their content to AT&T skinny bundle, which is called DirecTV Now, and then AT&T would have the leverage to say, hmm, competitors, YouTube Live, Hulu Live, you can't have it. We own it. Like, that's a big fear. Uh, I will say that the Turner folks argue, look, we need to have as widespread distribution as possible. We're not interested in just being on AT&T skinny bundle. Like, we want to be on everyone's. So we'll, it, it, time will tell if people keep their promises by not withholding the content, but this could have a very big impact on the skinny bundle landscape. I will say, if you're a satellite company, which remember DirecTV owned by AT&T is a satellite company, you are hemorrhaging subscribers right now, hemorrhaging. People are, some of these companies, I mean, cable companies are too, but satellite companies are in a particularly rough spot. And they don't always have broadband businesses to recoup the losses. So they're really pivoting strong to the skinny bundle streaming space to make up for it. Those two companies I can give you that are the biggest examples are DirecTV, which is owned by AT&T, and then Sling, which is owned by Dish, which is also a satellite company. The problem that these guys are going to have, though, I will say, is a skinny bundle is nowhere near the cost of a pay TV package. Okay. If you're paying $40 for a skinny bundle and these telco companies were used to getting $100 a month for you from you for pay TV, the margins there are staggering. And so, yes, these companies need to push people into skinny bundles to recoup the losses. But will the margins even out? No, which is why they need to invest in ad tech to make up for that. So what I think is so interesting here is skinny bundles also mean you have to have great content that is coveted by the audience. Right. So like people aren't it's not just like, hey, I just want my it basic puts cable on Turner. Well, it puts pressure to create great content and look at what Netflix has been doing. It's pouring billions. This is so to your point, Sarah, like it's a billion dollar game here yeah. that to that they may not recoup. So what's the answer? There's two things. Right. One is Netflix is a subscription video on demand. Whereas the skinny bundles offer live programming. So actually, AT&T doesn't see Netflix as a competitor in this. They're not worried about – the telcos don't worry about Netflix. They actually see Netflix uh, as a really good marketing ploy of like, oh, you get a free month of Netflix with your pay TVs package or whatever it is. But yes, what you're talking that, about – I think that's limited. Bundles, don't you, Sarah? Don't you think that's like only for a short amount of time here? It, dep it depends. Like with the skinny bundles with the live programming, as you were saying, you can only have like 40 channels. Netflix is indefinite. With the 40 channels, though, in, in creating good programming, you're absolutely right. No skinny bundle is going to take a long tail channel. I was talking to the president of the Broadcasters Association. I said, what happens if you're Viacom and you have all these like MTV3s, all these long tail channels? Those aren't going to make skinny bundles. What happens to them? He's like, That's they'll right. die out. They're That's done. Right. Sarah, before we let you go back to the grind of what do you think? What are what up, some what of else? the other big trends that you're chasing? Oh, uh, yeah. So M&A is just going to continue to be huge. 
I think uh, I'm having a lot of conversations right now about the, there was such a diversion of attention towards some of the core principles that we were focusing on a lot last year, before Russia, before election meddling, which was measurement um, and viewability and just sort of understanding how advertising effectiveness plays into campaigns. And I think that now a lot of the dust has settled between elections and the tech lash and some of these deals. I think you're going to have a rise in a refocus in measurement. And we saw this, I don't know if you guys saw that integral ad science was purchased uh, for $850 million, or at least that's yep. the number that we've been given. Um, that's because there's a value right now in measurement and there's a value in attribution. So I'd say that's going to be another key theme that we look at uh, heading into the rest of the summer. Okay. And then I'd say the other is just kind of keeping an eye on uh, all the programming trends, what's effective, what's not effective. I thought it was interesting that Roseanne was really hot until she sort of shot herself in the foot. We're going to go into our kill by DIY. All this conversation around the tech lash is really going to be something that I would say kill. At this point, we are having a new headline every week about Facebook sold this ad in a bad way to this, or Google is bad at this, or the UK Parliament wants to find this. I think consumers are just saturated by the narrative. We're over it. I think I would just kill the whole tech lash um, narrative, especially, and I think about that as a reporter, even in my reporting, just because, look, it's not like we have a single bill from Congress that's going to pass that's actually hitting these companies. Right. It's not like there's any meaningful regulation that's actually coming in the near future. So I would kill that. Right. Okay, what would you buy? I think this new B2B ad tech um, uh, trend is not super new. I mean, we saw that Salesforce bought Crux, Oracle bought Moat, Integral Ad Science just sold. But I think that everyone sees ad tech as going through this, you know, uh, pivotal moment of consolidation. But the consolidation is to these big B2B players like Salesforce and Oracle and others. And I, I'm going to keep my eye and I'm going to keep uh, looking at that and thinking of that as being a good thing because it's empowering some of the really hot B2B tech companies to really get into the ad game and again, start to kind of chip away at the duopoly's dominance. Yes, that is actually more on that on a different episode because that is a huge topic in and of itself that we don't talk about enough. All right, what would you do yourself? I think I would start to think about as a reporter uh, how I'm going to cover a lot of these really confusing topics in a way that makes it more digestible and friendly to a regular person like my mom or my sister as opposed to a trade audience. Like I, even coming on this podcast, yeah. the three of us are just totally nerding out. And I think one of the things that I'm realizing is that these trends affect people. They affect the price of your cable bill. They affect yeah. the price of your phone bill. And how can we think about ways to tell the story of what's happening in our time to people who it's actually affecting in a way that's not super uh, inside baseball? So that's one thing I want to work on and do myself a little bit better. I think we should do that together because that, I mean, the whole, the Adlandia was actually founded on one of those things was this shouldn't just be for the industry. This should be for people who are just interested in what's happening in media, marketing, communications. Yeah, and affected by the work yeah, that goes out. Exactly. So. Sarah Fisher, Always thank you. Thanks, guys. Bye, Sarah. Bye. Bye. Thank you, Sarah Fisher. Always super smart. Always on uh, the front lines, uh, getting us the information we need to make informed decisions. So thank you. Thank you, Matt Turk, Andy Bowers, Jacob Weisberg, our friends and family at Panoply. We'll be back in two weeks.
Full disclosure, our opinions are our own.